We come now to Wednesday of Holy Week, after the triumphal entry and the cleansing of the temple and the preaching to the multitudes and the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the message that Jesus had to share with his disciples about the end times and about what their lives would be like and about persecution of Christians. And we come to chapter 26 and we read in verses 1 through 16 these words. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whether, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. They started intentionally with what may have been the day before. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. It kind of sets the scene and sets the, uh, the thought pattern for what we see with uh, the following verses, 3, 4, and 5, and then the story of Judas plotting to betray Jesus. It sets a the scene for that because he says, Jesus says, and he has already um, uh, prophesied this before and told them this before, that he was going to be delivered up to be crucified. And, and so when we look at Judas and his thinking on this, um, Jesus has already said that he's not setting up a kingdom here on earth which is what most of his disciples thought and most of them wanted and probably what Judas thought and wanted also. So he prophesies this and it's interesting that right after that in the text, we read that the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the palace and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. The chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people. The three groups that he had been preaching to and about these hardened unbelievers that, that heard the words that he shared in his sermons there in the temple and his teachings there in the temple that, that they were the ones that were going to lose this kingdom. That, that even the tax collectors and the prostitutes, once they heard the good news of the kingdom of heaven, they repented of their sin and they would make it to heaven before the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees and the uh, elders of the people would because they would never repent. 
And so they had heard that news. They had understood that. And they realized that Jesus was talking about them and that they were, they were misleading the people and taking them down the wrong road away from God instead of toward him. And because of that and because of the authority idea that they hadn't given him the authority to do any of the things that he had done and they thought that they were the only ones that gave him that authority. In other words, they had been setting themselves up over God, claiming to love him and obey him, but trying to act in his stead as him instead of worshiping him. And so they were ready just to get rid of him. And so they gathered at what we read here at the palace of the high priest. But the truth is that, I mean, that word palace is a word that can mean several different things. It probably more than likely meant the courtyard of the home of Caiaphas because Caiaphas wasn't a king. He was a high priest and he didn't have a palace, but he did have a home. Another word, I mean, this even can be used, this word that was here could even be used to mean a sheepfold. Uh, but it was more than likely the, um, the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. And what's interesting about all of this is it would appear that either Caiaphas, Caiaphas was there, the high priest, the one who should have understood all of the stuff that was going on and seen Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and made the connection between him as the Lamb of God and the Passover Lamb. And yet here he was with them, plotting with them against Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, plotting to kill him. And what none of them knew and understood was that in their plotting and in their desire to kill him, it was going to fulfill exactly what Jesus said and exactly what God and Jesus had planned from the beginning, making him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they plotted to take him by trickery or by deception or a guile. And, and as we know, this came throughout through uh, the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. They wanted to take him by trickery and to kill him, but they didn't want to do it during the feast because they thought there might be an uproar. And then we know what happened, and we know how it happened. That it happened on, on uh, the Mount of Olives, but it was in a place where there wasn't a crowd. They didn't do it in public in the temple when Jesus was teaching. They did it somewhere where there were only the disciples and the crowd that came out to get him, not in the crowd of people that were following him. And so because of what Judas did, they succeeded in taking him, not during the feast, and keeping there from being an uproar. And Matthew goes back here uh, in verse 6 and and. Um, talks about something else. And now, John puts this at a different time. Mark puts this at a different time, or um, at least John. And, uh, and, and says that it happened six days before this. But Matthew is doing this thematically, writing thematically. In other words, he's putting together uh, the same things that relate. He's talking about the death of Jesus Christ. And since Jesus says that this ointment, this um, very fragrant very costly fragrant oil is anointed, is poured on him to, uh, to, to memorialize him in his death, then Matthew puts it together with the story of the betrayal and the idea that Jesus will be crucified. And so 
Here we are. Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. And a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. It's possible, and many theologians believe, that, um, that this was Mary. Uh, and there was Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And um, that it was this Mary who poured that on, on Jesus' head. And that there was enough of it there that it, it, um, it, uh, it poured it on his head and it just rolled down his body. And, it, and, and anointed not just his head, but his whole body with this fragrant oil. Some believe that Simon the leper was um, uh, the husband of Martha or maybe the father or the father-in-law because Martha was serving at the house. And so she poured it on his table, as, on his head as he sat at the table eating and then his disciples saw it. And this is interesting because there's a lot of people who would think this way um, that, and many of them are Christians uh, it says the disciples were indignant because this fragrant oil could have been sold for much and given to the poor. And often we think about those kind of things. How much money do we have and do we spend on these things and on this and on this? And if we would not spend that money on that and give it to the poor and said, how much better off would those poor people be? And there's, there's a, an argument for that. Sometimes when we spend money on, on uh, too many too many things and, and, and too many um, things that we don't really need, we could have better spent that money to feed somebody else, to take care of somebody else. But, but in this case, that was not the argument. I mean, that was not the winning argument. The winning argument was that Jesus Christ said, she has done this for my burial. And you always have the poor with you. You can take what you have later on and you can give to the poor and help to take care of them but I'm not going to be with you forever. I mean, he had just told them, he said, After, in two days, I'm going to be delivered up to be crucified. And so, we can give and we can sacrifice and that's a good and a noble thing to do. But when Mary did this, she was offering uh, a great sacrifice to Jesus Christ. She was doing it because she understood all of the stuff that he had done for her and for her family, and she loved him, and she was dedicated to him, and committed to him, and it's very possible that she understood that she was anointing the true Messiah, not the Messiah that everybody else wanted, a kingly warrior Messiah who would come in and set them free from the Romans, but a different kind of Messiah. It's very possible that she knew that, and so he was being anointed as a Messiah, and it was also being anointed for his burial, And of course, the disciples were indignant. But there was one of the disciples that was more indignant than all of the others, and his name was Judas Iscariot. Judas, we know, was the one who had the money bag. He was in charge of the money bag, and we're told in other uh, gospels that Judas Iscariot was a thief, and he used to pilfer money from the money bag. And it would appear that, that Judas, at one time, time really truly honestly followed and trusted and believed in Jesus Christ but also would appear that Judas was getting a little bit fed up with the idea that Jesus wasn't really going to set up an earthly kingdom it might be that Judas followed Jesus from the 
with the idea and the hope that Jesus was going to set up an earthly kingdom and that he would be one of the leaders and that he would be able to uh, thrive and to make money and to be a big man and be successful and to be wealthy and rich. And now when he heard that Jesus was going to die and that this was done for his burial, he began to think, well, if that's going to happen, why do I want to be his follower anymore? If that's going to happen and I'm not going to be successful and I'm not going to make a bunch of money and I'm going to get rich and not going to be able to live in a palace with a king, then forget it, I'm out of here. I'm done. And so he, one of the 12, Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests. I mean, who would you go to if you decide that you don't want to follow Jesus anymore? Go to somebody who, who would take exactly the exact opposite route. And so... Judas went to the chief priests and he asked them, what would you give me? What are you willing to give me if I deliver him, Jesus, to you? And they counted out, listen to this, they counted out 30 pieces of silver. They didn't just say, how about this much? How about this much? How about this much? How about this much? They just immediately counted out 30 pieces of silver. We're told that 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. So apparently to them and to Judas, Jesus wasn't much worth much more than that or worth any more than that. They counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, listen, this is what's interesting too. From that time on, he sought opportunity to portray Jesus. He looked for an opportunity. He might have even done everything he could to make things work in his, uh, in his favor, if you will so that he could betray Jesus and fulfill his part of this bargain. You know, we look at Judas and Jesus said, one of you must betray me. He said, but woe to him who, uh, who does that. And we look at him as a sad man, and he is. But we have to understand that there had to be the chief priests who would put Jesus to death. And there had to be one who would betray him in order for Jesus to go to the cross so that you and I and all who will believe could have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. We don't know. In any argument that people might present about what happened with Judas, and whether he, in the end, repented of his sin or not. We don't know whether he repented of his sin and was forgiven by God or whether he just, uh, just threw the money down and, and, and wandered off. We don't know that answer. It would seem that, that because of the fact that he went off and hanged himself that he didn't understand the forgiveness of God. But we don't know that for sure. What we do know is it was a sad case. A man who was chosen by Jesus, a man who followed Jesus for three years, a man who heard probably or, or most every word that Jesus spoke, especially to the 12, a man who probably had great ability, and yet because he desired something different, something other than what Jesus was going to do, he turned away from following the Messiah and began to follow the chief priests and in, and, and in effect Satan also and turned Jesus over 
to the chief priests to die on that cross. You know, we can be thankful for what happened with Judas and sad about it at the same time. Sad for his sake, but thankful for ours because what he did was part of what caused Jesus to go to the cross and Jesus went to the cross for us. Father, we thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. And God, we thank you for the way you orchestrated all of this so that Jesus went to the cross so that there were those that that doing the will of God brought about the crucifixion of Jesus so that he could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you. Thank you for these events. Thank you for the fact that Jesus knew this was going to happen, that he wasn't caught off guard by this, and that he willingly went to die on the cross so that we could have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.